You're listening to the Beaver Tales podcast, which features exclusive interviews with former Oregon State student athletes. We talk about what they did at OSU, what the transition was like away from college athletics, and what they're passionate about now. Here's a little taste of what's coming up on this episode. We have a very close mutual respect for each other, even though maybe playing for him, you know, it was frustrating for both of us because we both wanted so much, you know, he wanted so much out of me and he pushed me to the limits. And I, you know, I feel like not just in my baseball career, but my, my success in business has definitely contributed to how I was pushed in my college days. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. My guest today is a guy with some interesting stories athletically in his time at Oregon State, as well as very successful business stories to share. He's now the president of Integrity Insurance and Bonding up in Happy Valley, Oregon. This is former Oregon State outfielder Seth Peach. Seth comes from Southern Oregon from the Grants Pass area. You'll hear me say in the podcast about being from Grants Pass, and he rightly corrects me. Not exactly from Grants Pass, but nearby Wilderville, a place where the elevation is higher than the population. Elevation, 922 feet. Population, slightly below that, around 850 or so. Seth came from there up to Corvallis to play outfield for Oregon State in the early 2000s, 01 to 03. He was a tremendous hitter, batted 348 his junior year, was selected in the eighth round of the 2003 MLB draft by the New York Mets, played in the minor leagues until 2007, retired and got married that same year, and has been in the insurance industry pretty much ever since. He's now the co-owner, president, and senior sales executive of Integrity Insurance and Bonding Incorporated. He met his wife, Ashley, at OSU. They're married. They have four kids, and she's the vice president of that same company. Before we get to this conversation, a quick word from our sponsor, Lamplight Creatives. Now, a lot of businesses have to switch to the online sphere, especially at this day and age, and so Lamplight Creatives can help you with website development and website design, making sure that when people are looking for products, when they find you, they can see everything that you're about and helping you be found in the first place. Lamplight Creatives can help with content creation, with photography and videography, making all your materials pop online so that when people are looking for a solution, looking for your business, looking for products in your industry, your business will be found more easily and retain customers more commonly. So check out Lamplight Creatives, making your ideas brighter. They're a full service creative agency offering total solutions in marketing, branding, and promotional needs. Another business in Corvallis I'd like to mention is Angry Beaver. Obviously, restaurants aren't having a real easy time. So if you can help out Angry Beaver, if you're listening to this at a time where eating in restaurants is allowed, then great. You can go check out Angry Beaver in downtown Corvallis. Go have breakfast on the weekends. Or even if not, you can still do takeout with the Angry Beaver. I'll put their phone number in the description, and you can check out one of the great Oregon State-related restaurants uh, that you'll find anywhere. So that's Angry Beaver in downtown Corvallis. All right, I'm excited to share this conversation with Seth Peach. The reason I reached out to Seth originally was I just had a conversation with Kip Carlson. 
used to be in the sports information department at Oregon State. Kip and I were talking about the early days of the Pat Casey era. He brought out 2001 and said, you know, Seth Peach was the guy who hit the near home run in 2001 that almost ended Oregon State's postseason drought. It, it didn't work out. It was caught at the warning track. And uh, so we talk about that story and Beaver baseball back in the early 2000s. Here is former outfielder and a current president, Seth Peach. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, Seth. How's uh, work going lately for you? And thanks for joining me. No, thank you for having me. Um, Work's actually extremely busy, busier uh, than I probably have ever been in my 13-year insurance career which is interesting just because of the way everything is with uh, this this pandemic that's, you know, hindering all of us. We'll come back, kind of close with your career and everything you're doing with uh, Integrity Insurance and Bonnie Incorporated up in the, the Portland area, Happy Valley. Let's start with Oregon State and how you even got there. How did you go from Grant's Pass and, and come up to play in Corvallis and play for your home state team? Well, actually, I came from Wilderville, which is outside of Grants Pass. It's uh, you wouldn't even know where it is other than it's outside on the on the outskirts of Grants Pass. Um, to sum it up, you know, it was mostly it was mostly luck. My my best friend at the time, he was I played with him in Hidden Valley um, High School for my freshman and sophomore year. He transferred to Grants Pass High School and was first team all conference in Grants Pass. Got selected to play for. Baseball Oregon is what it was back in the day. I don't even know what it is anymore. You know, that's 20 years ago. Um, and he was he was playing for Baseball Oregon, which is basically a showcase of, you know, Oregon South, Oregon North. And going into our senior year, so the fall of our senior, senior year, he, uh, his coach asked, hey, is there any outfielders that anybody knows of that is maybe halfway decent that could come try out for the team? And you know, coming from a 3A small school, you don't really get much recognition, even if you're putting up big numbers. Um, and so I did, I went and tried out, I made the team. Um, my best friend and I actually were selected to be on the all-star team for baseball Oregon. It was combining the North and the South. And we went down to Peoria, Arizona, the fall of 2000. And uh, actually it might've been 99, the fall of 99. So that was, I graduated in 2000. So it was the fall of my senior year. So I uh, was down there and that's where coach Gary Henderson, the pitching coach saw me run a 60 yard sprint actually against Mitch Mewson, which played, you know, football for the Beavs. So coach Henderson saw me run a 60 and they gave basically didn't know anything else about me other than it looked like I ran pretty fast, I guess. So they offered me a, a partial scholarship to come play, you know, shortly after that that that's pretty quick uh, recruiting from Gary. I just chatted with him the other day and just a 60 yard dash. And that was all they needed to know. It's pretty surprising. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. I had Mitch Mewson on this podcast too, a few months ago. So did you end up staying in touch with him? Cause that you would have overlapped with him for several years with him on the football team. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, you know, we, I watched him on TV and, you know, at the games play, you know, the football games and everything else. And him and I were the same age. So we, you know, didn't have a ton of contact, but he did. He was going to be a dual sport athlete, but, you know, I think he uh, ended up going more the football route and never we never did play together on the baseball side. So, yes, he, he chose the football route more than anything else and had a good Oregon State football career. That was for sure. He was fun to watch. He was a good player and a good yeah. guy, too. Yeah, an All-American. So you were there at Oregon State the spring of 01, 02, 03. 
how would you classify where Oregon State baseball was at during your era? So my era, you know, we were especially 01 and 02 seasons. We were we were right on the verge of being able to break, you know, break through and actually make a, you know, a, a regional berth. We were in contention all the way into the end and especially in 01 really, you know, we, we had to beat USC to really have a potential opportunity to make, you know, a, a berth. Um, if we would have won two out of three against USC that year and Mark Pryor was the Friday starter. I can't remember his first name, but Courier was the sun, the Saturday starter. And then Brian Bannister was maybe the Sunday starter, but he was one of their pitchers, you know, that was really up there and he was a, you know, a good pitcher as well. And we lost a prior in extra innings on Friday. We beat Courier on Saturday. And so Sunday it, it came down to, uh, you know, the, the final game of being able to go two, two, two out of three against, you know, USC. And, you know, we, we just came up a little bit short my, my freshman and sophomore year. And, you know, I, I feel that we had good, we were setting the stage for the upcoming teams. I don't want to take any credit for what they did because the teams that went to the World Series and won were phenomenal teams, but we were right on the edge of being able to at least get a postseason, you know, opportunity, and we just couldn't we couldn't break through the you know the final barrier that was holding us back. In two thousand one, your freshman year, Pat Casey still had not made an NCAA tournament with Oregon State. He you uh, had a rough ninety nine season, got a little better in two thousand, and the U playing in that USC series in one to. You know, potentially make a postseason for the first time in about 15 years at that point. Oregon State had not made the NCAA tournament in a long time. And you played a pretty big role in that series, had a big hat bat. Take me to the, the situation and the disappointment of game three against USC. Well, I knew I wasn't going to get probably much opportunity to play in the series just because, you know, Pryor and Courier were both right-handers. So Chris Biles was always going to be hitting off of those guys. And he had a phenomenal year. I think he hit almost 400 or over 400 in Pac-10 that year. Um, and he took prior and courier deep twice back-to-back -back games. So it was fun watching Chris Biles hit. And um, so I didn't really expect much, you know, to be honest with you. But on Sunday, we were, we were down by one run. And our shortstop, Will Hudson, was on first base. And this was the ninth inning. And I got called on to pinch hit against a right-handed pitcher, Brian Bannister, which actually ended up being one of my teammates with the New York Mets for a short period of time. And sometimes when you pick up a bat, it just feels good. And you just feel like you're going to have, you know, a really solid opportunity and you're going to hit a ball hard. And I got in there and Brian threw me a first pitch ball. And I'm just like, man, this, the next pitch I'm going deep. I just knew it. And so he threw me a high hanging curve ball. And I hit it, but I didn't hit the barrel 100%, but I knew I hit it good. And I thought the game was over. Everybody in the crowd stood up and were screaming. I, I just knew that the game was over, and I hit a home run walk off. And I'm rounding first base, and I see Will Hudson running back to first. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? That ball's out of here. And the guy, their outfielder, who I don't remember who it was, caught it literally right on the fence in the warning track and, you know, the wind hung it up. That's my excuse. <laughs> but uh, either way, it didn't it didn't go over the fence. It was an out that was two outs. And then we ended up getting, you know, making the third out and USC won. But the ball that I hit would have been a walk off home run. And it it haunted me for the rest of my baseball career. I wrote, remember USC underneath my bill 
you know, all of junior, sophomore, junior year, and even into the, you know, my professional career, because that's not a fun experience and a fun feeling to relive, and I didn't want to relive it. How much do you remember whether in conversations with Coach Casey, how much he talked about that series? He's talked about it now when I talked with him is that's that 2001 season was both really difficult to not make it, but it was also a light at the end of the tunnel because we got so close. So that it was a bit of, you know, a dual nature, what that meant to him. What do you remember about uh, talking with coach Casey and coach Casey and how kind of inspiring, but also kind of difficult that Oh one season was. <clears throat> you know, I don't think I had too much, correspondence and conversation with coach Casey about that particular series, you know, him and I had very, very similar personalities. And we just, you know, I feel like, you know, him as a player and me as a player, when coach Casey was a player is, you know, we, nobody's going to be harder on us than ourselves. And we, uh, you know, we just kind of had that mutual understanding between the two of us where, you know what, when Seth was in there, he was going to play hard. He was going to run through the fence if he had to, and he was going to play it out, you know, all out there. So him and I never really had much correspondence during my playing career and even up to now, but I feel that we, we didn't really have to because we both knew, you know, the situation that <laughs> really what happened there. It often seems like the people who are most similar to Pat Casey, hard on themselves, fiery, intense guys, are the ones that he would challenge the most. He'd get after them because they could take it. Did he Did he show intensity towards you, a sort of fire and a passion that you recall? Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, I, I feel like Coach Casey and I had de a definitely a very high mutual respect for each other a love hate relationship, but we, we knew that we knew that we were going to lay it out there on, you know, on the table every single time that, you know, I played for him. And, you know, when I, when I see him, you know, we handshake, give each other a hug. I mean, I mean, we have a very a close mutual respect for each other, even though maybe me playing for him, you know, it was frustrating for both of us because we both wanted so much for, you know, he wanted so much out of me and he pushed me to the limits. And I, you know, I feel like not just in my baseball career, but my, my success in business is, is definitely contributed to how I was pushed, you know, in my college days. Was there a moment when you talk about a love hate relationship where for a moment it was more hate before the love came in? Was there a time he pushed you and it got hard? If, if you want to share, well, obviously we know now it's a loving relationship. So maybe it's easier to share <laughs> the times where it, it leaned the other way. Well, there's definitely a handful of times where, uh, you know, him and I would go up into his office during a game and close the door and, you know, exchange, exchange, you know, words back and forth. And then we would, you know, nod and just be like, okay, let's go. Now it's business. And so we would go back and do it. And, you know, we had that relationship because we are, you know, I feel that from a plain personality and just a player personality, we, we were very similar and as each other when he played and when I played. And so, you know what, we could get mad and yell at each other for a minute and then be good to go. And we're back at business and be ready to go for it. So there's, I don't have any specific times, but there was several times that that situation actually came up over my three years at Oregon State. So during games, you would like go back into the clubhouse and have a little closed door meeting? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> good. How, one more question on Case before we kind of come back to your career and stuff you've done after OSU. It seemed like Casey was really good at 
being intense towards guys, but but not pushing them away in, in a form that you can be mad at a guy and he, and he can just say, well, forget you, or you can be mad at a guy and then he ultimately, there's a mutual respect. How, how do you think Casey developed the, the, the type of intensity that would still bring the player back to him rather than push away? Well, I think every player is going to treat, you know, take things differently, but I think coach Casey, you know, had a good understanding of what players he could push and, and, you know, get away with it, not necessarily get away with it, but know that they, he wouldn't push those players away. So you look back at some of the best players that, you know, since 2000, 2001, that went on to play professionally, you know, in the big leagues that are still in the big leagues, there's a lot of personalities that gelled well with coach Casey. And so the ones that he pushed, the ones that, you know, he was the hardest on, I feel those were the ones that he knew that he could get, that he could do that and still have them come back and have, you know, want to play hard and even harder for them. So you have to navigate those waters carefully because not every player is going to be able to handle that. But he, he knew which ones had the ability and the, the mental toughness to push those players extra hard. And I feel like he did just looking at, you know, with Jacoby and Michael Conforto and, you know, some of these other guys, I mean, they had strong wills and coach Casey had strong wills too. And he helped push them during their college careers. You ended up getting drafted in 03. You, you had played Oregon State 01 to 03. You met your wife in 02. I mean, you would get married in 07, but you met Ashley in 2002. During your professional career, since you didn't get married until the same year you finished pro baseball in 07, was she traveling with you for those years? Were you separate most of your pro baseball career from 03 to 07? How did that work? So we were doing the long distance stuff for the whole time. So she started working for her parents' insurance company in 04. And that was, uh, you know, my second year playing professionally. And I played in 04. I was back in Florida and then Tennessee and then South Carolina. And she actually didn't come visit. She visited one time during that season. And then she, uh, you know, visited off and on during the seasons, you know, after that, but she, she was always here working full-time for her, her parents' insurance company. So it was hard. We just had to do the long distance thing and, you know, it just, you know, it just worked out. And now fast forward to today, you've been married for 13 years. You have four kids, you're coaching your kids sports. I mean, that's a pretty big contrast from you see each other a, a few times, you know, for months on end, you barely see each other to now what you see today. It's a pretty big contrast, huh? Absolutely. And we own our insurance agency together. So we, you know, her office is her walls connected to mine. So, you know, it's nonstop 24 seven, you know, we're, we're together. <laughs> You're the the president of Integrity Insurance Bonding, the co-owner, the the senior sales executive. She's vice president. How do the two of you work together? How well does that go? Well, she's uh, she's our head account manager, and she uh, you know we actually work extremely well together. We've worked together since '07. So she does the customer service side of things, and you know I do the the producing side of things, and then now running a business we. We just know which hats to wear and what hats to hire other people to help, you know, navigate those, those hats too. So we don't have to do everything. So we've got a very good solid team in place that, you know, we're very happy with. One last thing about your professional baseball career, the last couple of years, you were playing independent ball, which is at least in some regards, pretty different to some of the minor league 
affiliates of major league clubs. What was that like to play independent ball to bounce around a little bit? And how different was that from more conventional minor league baseball? It wasn't as, it wasn't as strict. I mean, you could have a lot more fun playing independent ball because, you know, you're not, it's still high competition. I mean, I played, you know, with some very, very good players. You know, I played with ex big leaguers, Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco were two of them, you know, but they were at their tail end of their career, but they were still very good players and great teammates, you know, but there wasn't much different from a, you know, from a, a competitive level, at least in the lower levels of minor league, you know, low A, high A, there wasn't that much. You start getting into double A, triple A, and obviously in the big leagues, it's a different competition totally, but very similar competition wise. And, you know, it was, it was great, you know, played three years of independent ball. And it was, you know, it was my whole goal and hope was to get picked back up by a major league affiliate. Unfortunately that, you know, just never happened. I, you know, just different things, led to one to another of not being able to have that opportunity again. But it, uh, you know, I'll definitely uh, look back and always enjoy the, the five years that I had playing professionally. I listened to a ESPN series of podcasts a while back. They did this whole documentary on Ricky Henderson. It was called Ricky Henderson doesn't quit or, or won't quit because you know he's the stolen base King, a tremendous MLB career. And then he just comes back. Even if he can't play in the big leagues, he's playing independent ball. He just would not stop playing baseball. Uh, what do you remember from him? I'm not sure if it was he your teammate. You played against him. I don't know how much you played with Ricky. So I actually was on a ESPN podcast about two years ago with, you know, talking about Ricky. So that might've been the same one. Oh, wow. um, so I played with him the whole summer of Oh six. No, Oh five. Sorry. In 2005, we were down playing in San Diego. We played for the San Diego surf dogs and Ricky was trying to make a major league comeback. I, he only had a few home runs to go to until he hit, you know, a career number of like 300 home runs or something, which is pretty amazing as a leadoff hitter. And he never did get picked back up by a major league organization, but he played the whole summer with us. He was a great mentor. I mean, the stuff that you learn, you know, from Ricky, I mean, he, I learned more stuff from him than anybody else. I'd have to say in, in any time during baseball, he was a great teammate. He really took, are the younger guys. I mean, he was 46 at the time. I was maybe 27 ish. So he, you know, he's sub substantially older, but he still was able to play. And, you know, just his physical ability to keep playing at 46 was incredible. One of the best athletes I've ever seen, you know, overall in my, in, in my life. And we ended up winning the, you know, the, the championship for that, for that team that year. And, you know, it was definitely one of the highlights of my baseball career being able to, celebrate with those guys after the after we won and went back to San Diego and Ricky just really took care of all of us it was pretty awesome wow what was it that you did learn from Ricky if you learned from him more than than anybody else you know just the just the mental approach to the game you know I <clears throat> I always played more as a linebacker mentality you know that's probably why coach Casey and I hit it off so well and so bad at the same time is I got out or struck out, everybody would know it and things would get broken. And that was not, I, it's not good. I shouldn't have done it, but that's, that's just the way I played. I played hard and aggressive and had wore my emotions on my sleeve. Ricky didn't. Ricky would talk to himself in third person, not saying that I talked to myself in third person, but he would just always be 
thinking about what he can do better and what his approach was going to be that, you know, at the next at bat and reading the pitchers, to, you know, to steal bases, obviously he's the best base dealer, you know, in MLB all time. So just trying to read, read the pitchers on what their move is and just get little extra advantages that would help steal a base. You know, there's, he would just break down, you know, the small details of the game, which may turned out to be some of the biggest details overall. So it, it was just, he was an incredibly, he is an incredibly smart baseball player. One of the smartest I've, I've ever met. I do remember that, that little anecdote. It must've been the same podcast. And I, I probably heard your voice then on, on this podcast series of Ricky talking to himself in the third person. He was so eccentric, but also dedicated, clearly an impactful guy. And you, you, it was kind of endearing, but also weird, but that's kind of Ricky, a, a little bit of both sides of him. He's um, got a very big personality and just very interesting person overall, but he's, he was, he is an amazing person. Yeah. A uh, couple of last things now shifting to your career, being the president of, of your own company, basically co-owning it, working in the insurance industry. What does it take to be a president of an insurance industry, an insurance company, what that takes day to day? And as a person, what does that take from you? Well, for me, I mean, it just really stems from having your work ethic has to be you have to have an incredible work ethic. I don't, I, it doesn't matter if it's sports related or business related. If, if you have a, a hard work ethic and you are always trying to learn and get better, you know, you, you can have a higher probability of succeeding in whatever you're doing. And, you know, I, I lived, ate and breathed baseball for, you know, over a decade to try to become the best baseball player that I could. And I feel I had a very good, solid career. Well, when my baseball career was over, you know, I had to transition to something completely different. And, you know, I, I had no ambitions of going into insurance. I, I only went into it because my father and mother-in-law owned the agency. And so I decided to give it a shot. Um, but I, I learned very quickly that you need to be a student of, student of the game, whether that's insurance or whether that's baseball or sports, whatever it is, you have to hone your skills and become the best that you possibly can be. And <clears throat> that's what I've done from, from really day one is now I got to, you know, focus on my, my skills and my profession to become the best that I, what I can, you know, best insurance agent that I can and owning a business because, you know, the businesses that I handled the insurance for, they're relying on me to understand what they should be insured for and protecting their business. And I don't take that lightly. Maybe last question or two for you, based on all the things that you've learned, both in baseball from impactful people like Pat Casey to, to Ricky Henderson or Gary Henderson, whoever it may be, all the Hendersons and the coaches and the teammates you had based on all those life lessons. If you were to, you know, if you had like to write a note to a, to a person finishing college as sort of an advice for, for them going on to the next stage, what, what do you think is the most critical thing you would tell them based on all you've learned in the 17 years since you finished at OSU? I would definitely say, you know, never, never hold anything back because, you know, I try to tell my young athletes that I coach that one day, you know, this day your, your playing career is going to be over. Never look back and, and feel like you could have done something more on a given day because when you're done, you don't want to have any regrets about how you left things or how you ended up playing because one day it's going to come to an end and you're going to wish that you could still be out on that field playing and competing with your, your, you know, against the other team and playing with your teammates and have that camaraderie. And when it's over, it's, it's hard for many athletes to, 
to grip, you know, grasp that. And so no regrets at all when in your playing career. Not to plunge the knife a little deeper, but is that why the 2001 USC series hurt so much? Cause it felt like something was left out there. Absolutely. You know, everybody from a little kid always dreams and thinks about hitting a game winning home run world series or, you know, in a huge critical moment. And, and I had that opportunity and I was close, but it came up short. And so I never, I wanted to push myself harder. So the next time that opportunity did present itself, I wouldn't hit it to the warning track. Yeah. All right. Last thing, since you coach your, your kids, baseball team, softball teams, t-ball, whatever it may be, or, you know, it's tough right now, they may not be playing, but when you do, do you coach them like Pat Casey? I would say yes. I would say, I would say yes. You know, it's, it's a different world now compared to 20 years ago, but yeah, I push them because I, I, especially on the kids I know have the talent and the, you know, the ability to play at a, the next level or whatever that may be, even though they're young, don't get me wrong, but go to the next, you know, start at the next age group or whatever. You know, I do push them hard because you know what, it's, that's the way I, I got to the, as far as I did in my baseball career. And even in my professional, you know, business career is, you know, I had to, I had to be pushed and I had to push it hard and I do it in a loving kind way, which I know that coach Casey did that too, but I'm, I'm dealing with 10 year old kids. So I have to be a little bit more cautious on my words that I use. <laughs> That's good. It's, it's a good balance to have. Thanks so much for joining the podcast, Seth. Thank you for having me. Well, my thanks to Seth Peach for joining me on this podcast. It's cool to talk with people who are successful in athletics, successful in their business career, whatever post-OSU, post-athletic career, and to see how the two intertwine. And you could tell that the success that he's had in his business career are partly due to what Pat Casey instilled in him, plus people like Ricky Henderson. I mean, athletics really translated to a work ethic that has led him to high places, and he seems to be a great family man as well, and I really appreciated and enjoyed talking with Seth Peach. I also would like to mention Kingdom Home. They're a great charity run by another former Oregon State baseball player, Matt Boyd. Matt and his, his wife, Ashley. Hey, there's two baseball players who married a woman named Ashley. Fun little connection between Seth Beach and Matt Boyd. But as for Matt Boyd, he and his wife, Ashley, run this organization that helps kids who are in danger of being involved in the trafficking industry in Uganda. They've got a couple of homes there where the kids stay and get education. It's a great organization. Check them out, kingdomhome.org, and you can support this nonprofit. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. I've been your host, Josh Warden. My goal is to be the next voice of the Beavers whenever Mike Parker retires 30 years from now. Until next time on the podcast, good night, everybody, and go Beavs.